Welcome in everyone to episode 68 of the Battlecats podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Payne, joined by my co-host, Speedish Chief 2. How's it going, Caleb? So good to be back with you for another awesome episode. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of awesome stuff to get into today. Yeah, I ran into a fellow fan of ours of the podcast, uh, none other than How Stark 93. Uh, and when I say ran into him, I actually ran into him because he's all the way in California at the moment. A- after we recorded our podcast with him as a guest, like what, two weeks ago? Uh-huh. Him and his girlfriend drove across the country. <laughs> so, Wait, that's that's the guy that used to hate his guts, right? Same guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. You know, just making sure. Most mostly got over it too. Mostly okay. got over it. But um, anyway, we have a special episode today. We didn't. I don't think we even mentioned it on our last podcast. No. Nope. You know, usually when we say there's going to be a guest coming, we we mention it ahead of time. But Speed and I were like, you know what? I think it's time we bring on another guest, and we have our special guest, none other than Gabby Snyder, professional commentator for Pokemon. Welcome in, Gabby. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and hello, everybody. It's been a while since I've recorded a podcast, honestly, so I'm kind of excited. Oh, yes. Uh, When was the last time, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, probably like a year ago or so. I think uh, I think I was on um, a podcast. It was more like a Nintendo focused podcast, but it was talking about like VGC starting back up again and, you know, what it would be like to go back to in-person events like that kind of stuff. So must have been a little bit less than a year, probably. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. a lot has happened in the past year for in person oh, yeah. and everything. So we'll get all into that. Um, but for those that don't know, Gabby Snyder, who has been involved in the Pokemon community for quite some time, way before Pokemon Go has even been uh, launched. Um, but for those that don't know you, Gabby, uh, feel free to kind of give yourself a quick intro and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so um, I guess on the internet, I go by simply Gabby Snyder. Um, that's my Twitch handle. And sort of my go handle because somebody had already taken simply Gabby um, by the time I switched my username over and I rebranded a bit. So I had to go by simply Gabster, but I feel like that's close enough. Um, Mm. I've been playing Pokemon competitively for the video game uh, since around 2005, 2006. Uh, So that was a long time ago. Um, Started going to official tournaments in 2009 uh, started commentating in 2015, like really late 2015, early 2016. Um, and now I commentate Pokemon Go as well. And it's just been a really crazy journey. And that's a very, very abridged version of it all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun getting to do more stuff on the Pokemon Go side because I, I was playing Pokemon Go on launch day and I was part of the magical summer of 2016 where somehow everything was perfect and everybody was playing Pokemon and it was great. Yeah, that yeah. was like the summer of world peace, right? Everyone was yeah. just <laughs> enjoying Pokemon Go, getting out. You would actually wave at your neighbors and be like, hey, are you playing Pokemon Go? Me too. And it was just a really, really special time. Yeah, yeah that was a, yeah, it was a very well. I just remember I've never walked so much in my entire life, like just for fun <laughs> or casually or for any reason besides going somewhere. And uh, I, at that time, I had lived in Atlanta for uh pretty much seven years and mm-hmm. i didn't fully even like explore most of it until pokemon go came out and i was just going all to these random parts and stuff which uh i guess was the main purpose of the game back then especially um but yeah it was it was quite the time um take us back a little bit though gabby so did you start playing pokemon 
like as a kid right when it came out or did you, you i know you said 2005 was like when you got like really into it as well right did you play before then yeah so yeah i've i've been playing ever since red and blue in the u.s um nice i i had to save up my allowance for like six months it felt like i mean it felt like an eternity when i was a very <laughs> small child um to buy like a game boy color and then i really had to convince my parents to get me um pokemon red was my first one i got it for my birthday that year um when it came out um because they were convinced that like you know video games were bad and i had just randomly found this weird cartoon with fighting animals on tv and it's probably <laughs> not a good influence but they also weren't going to question it too much at that point um and i i just like fell hard into it for whatever reason um but honestly i think what really like solidified my presence in the community and the reason why i kind of go back to like the early 2000s as like my yeah that that's when i really started pokemon um it was because that was when i first started going to live events um they weren't tournaments back then they were more like marketing events to be quite blunt about it mm -hmm. <laughs> like you know go take a picture with pikachu and tell your friends to you know spend money on pokemon products yay uh <laughs> type things but i i just really fit i felt like i really fit in in that kind of environment and just being able to like go up to random people and talk about something that you know we both loved was really a really cool thing and i just started like looking for more opportunities for those kind of situations and that led me to tournaments and it also led me to pokemon go because like you were saying you know people would wave at their neighbors and be like oh hey did you find that charizard that's around here somewhere or <laughs> um and that's kind of the magic that keeps me coming back yeah, most definitely. So you started going to events before they even had like com official competitive tournaments. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a murky timeline. Um, and if this is too much of a history lesson, I totally understand. <laughs> um, but the first I, I would say the first big tournament that was on my radar um, as a kid was back in 2004. And it was actually, it started as like an online quiz competition. Mm. Um, the thinking was they split the entire U.S. up into different regions. And each region represented a different facility from the Battle Frontier from Pokemon Emerald. Mm. And like, if you pass these online quizzes with a high enough score, you would get a trip out to Seattle. And then they rented out the Space Needle for a day. And they had like a big tournament just up on top of the Space Needle. Um, it was really like the first sort of national tournament. And while I personally didn't make it past the quiz phase, um, I, I, I'm going to blame my internet and just say <laughs> it was that and not try to think about it too much more than that. Um, my fiance Chalky actually was one of the people who made it through, um, which is pretty cool to think about. Um, and like after hearing about that event, I was like, yo, that sounds like fun. Like I want to battle people. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I did like a couple of like smaller local things at like a GameStop or whatever. Uh, and then in 2006, they did this big tour where every single, almost every single state had like a regional stop. Um, it was a mall tour. So, you know, they also had like game demos and you could buy stuff and Pikachu was there. Um, and that was like my first real Pokemon competition. And then I just got hooked on, okay, yeah, I like, I like competing. Like, this is fun. You know, I enjoy the challenge of trying to like outmaneuver, outthink people. Um, and it, it was also, again, just a way to meet new friends and uh, hang out and have a good time. 
Oh wow, that's awesome! I didn't realize that Chalky was uh, OG like that too. That's that's pretty wild. Did they have was was there Wi-Fi back then for battling, or was it like link cables? I, I don't even remember the timeline for that. <laughs> so <laughs> they had a wireless adapter. Okay. Um, so the answer is simultaneously yes and no. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to battle somebody uh, who wasn't within your physical vicinity, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, one moment sorry oh no worries. yeah you're good you're good yeah i remember the link cables uh those were a lot of fun mm-hmm. but a little bit awkward right because you had to be so close to your opponent yeah mine yeah. got corrupted a lot wait <laughs> really tough. yeah i think um uh well this is this is a long time ago i don't think i'll get in trouble for this but i, I don't know, remember with when you all remember the red and blue there was like a missing no trick where you like surfing up and oh, down yeah. the coast oh, yeah. from island of cinnabar island yeah yeah cinnabar island and you get like the, i don't to be honest i was so young when i did it that uh i didn't really fully understand what i was doing i think i just got a bunch of rare candies had like a level 99 gank or whatever and me and my friends were trying to trade stuff like like we got from like the missing those or whatever um and my cables would just stop working <laughs> and i oh man I, it could be just faulty hardware or it could be because we're doing stuff with the missing nodes but i just remember my cables work like once every time and they just break for some reason um so i'd always have to rely on a friend's link cable yeah well i mean it, you mentioned you know missing no might be a sore topic uh there was no way to officially battle people online back when i first started competing so <laughs> Um, I, I did actually, for the longest time, try to use, uh, the battle Mount battle in Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD Gale of darkness as a way to practice. But, Mm. um, as I've learned as an adult, the AI just was not that smart back then. Mm -hmm. And like now if, uh, you know, if I'm going back to do like a ribbon quest or something, like all you have to do is run Kyogre Kingdra as a lead and you just both use surf and it deletes like 99% of the competition. So, (laughs) um, but, but I had a lot of fun and I think that's also why I kept trying to go back and find more ways to be involved in competitive Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thankfully the Nintendo Wii came out like, I think maybe within a year or so of JAA um, and Pokemon Battle Revolution on the Wii was the first game um, other than like the DS games where you could actually go online and battle people. Mm. Um, So I would use like Battle Revolution to play uh, what, I guess what is now VGC rule sets, but like back then was just competitive doubles. Mm. Um, And even then it would still be sort of a a dice roll. You know, if you got somebody running a team of six Darkrai, it's like, oh, well, I just can't win this. So, you know, I'm going (laughs) to forfeit and just hope that I can play somebody who's actually playing the next time around. It's really wild to me to hear all this because like, you know, for Caleb and I were brand new into casting. Like we went to NAIC together. We've done the regionals together. We did worlds together. And just hearing about all the, like the the history and the background is just really surprising to me because I just assumed it was always, you know, there was always a world. There was always a big regional. There was always infrastructure to support it. But I don't know. It's like blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's really curious as well, like how competitive Pokemon evolved. Like, I think with the trading card game, there was always something. Um, it wasn't necessarily a world championships for the longest time. I, I think it, for up until 2004, I want to say it was held in Hawaii every year. And it was basically exclusively the United States and Japan that would go to compete. 
2004 was the first time they ever had like a world championship where people could mm -hmm. qualify from all over and go to Florida, um, the beautiful state of Florida during hurricane season to compete. Um, <laughs> and uh, VGC sort of started out as like an offshoot of the trading card game because it was like, well, you know, there's so many people here who are interested in playing the card game. You know, we might as well just throw in like a little something extra for the video game. Um, and even in like, uh, 2000, I, I want to say when the circuit started getting a little bit more solidified back in like 2013, 14, I think were the first years where we had like championship points and like, there was actually a qualification circuit that you would go through. Um, even then the VGC events would always be held on Sunday and it was just all in one go. Um, so, and you'd get a lot of people from the trading card game who basically were out of contention for points who'd come play VGC because it's, you know, another shot to qualify for worlds. Wow. I, I actually, for some reason in my head, I thought VGC came first before TCG, but no, um, but that actually makes sense though, based on the history you're saying. Um, and that also makes sense why TCG typically has the biggest participation, right? Or maybe they have yeah. the most amount of spots allocated. Is that correct? I mean, it's both, I think. Yeah. I think there's a lot more interest in playing TCG, especially in-person events, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, it's a lot easier to play with paper cards in person than it is to have, like, your phone pointed at your desk over, like, mm -hmm. a Discord call or whatever. Um, <laughs> whereas with the video game, you know, I think that there's a ton of interest in it competitively online, um, but there still aren't too many people going out to in-person events, like, relative to the numbers you'll see on, like, Battle Stadium or... Um, sometimes the online tournaments for uh, VGC will have like, you know, 100,000 people competing across the world. And wow. unfortunately, we don't see those numbers in person yet, but maybe someday I I'd like to believe. Yeah. Is that it just out of like convenience and stuff or is it is there another reason behind it, too, for for it being like a much stronger presence online versus like in person? <laughs> That's a really good question. I think convenience is definitely an element to it. I mean, if you can play a video game in your pajamas at home, like <laughs> I feel like 90% of people are going to pick that <laughs> all the time, myself included. Um, but I think that, you know, tournaments in person do take a lot of time. They take a mm. lot of money. You know, you have to travel. You have to, um, if you're playing VGC, you have to get 400 uh, or 200 points or whatever the bar is going to be this year. I think it was 400 last year and some people were speculating that they're just going to cut it in half this year. Um, anyways, like you have to get the points to qualify and mm -hmm. it's a really big commitment. Um, whereas I think one of the things that makes Pokemon Go really interesting right now is that, yes, there is no way to just go to a bunch of regionals and get your invite, but you could theoretically one and done it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that VGC, I, I think that if you're really into VGC, I think that you benefit from having championship points and having the ability to sort of slowly earn an invite over a season rather than having to top cut a tournament in order to have a shot. Uh, but I do think that also deters some people because they don't see it as, well, I'm going to go to this one tournament. They see it as, well, I need to go to 10 tournaments to have my shot at worlds. And this mm -hmm. is the ones that I can make work. And, you know, it's, it's a lot more to, it's a lot more daunting. Yeah, most mm -hmm. definitely. I think also for Pokemon go to, I would say a good chunk of the competitive community, maybe joined after go badly started pretty much right around when the pandemic started like a month or two mm. later uh, but before then uh, it was mostly hosted through silph arena which is kind of a third-party organization 
uh, more grassroots based and all of our tournaments for the most part were in person because there was no way of doing tournaments online because back then you had to be at least ultra friends so at least 30 days worth of interaction to even battle oh. anyone so so we were kind of as a community for like like the ones that started playing before go battle league for these competitive show six tournaments we were already traveling everywhere too which was kind of mm -hmm. why like people were I think like some some players now like you know they're going to all these regionals and be like whoa like you're doing all this just for Pokemon Go PB but like for some people they did this for PB back before they were even official tournaments they were just grassroots tournaments with no prize money they would just fly to like all these places like there would be like a big mega tournament um like once a month in somewhere in the U.S. during our second season before COVID hit. Um, so I think in some ways too that might be why uh, a lot of the Pokemon Go players might be more willing to come out too but there's also no official kind of format for show six in in with it built within pokemon go too so i could see how uh, going to these tournaments on official capacity could also be a little bit more enticing yeah I, I think they're also a lot more accessible overall for tcg vgc and go nowadays mm -hmm. i think that tournament organizers have learned to try and find places that are easy for people to get to um, and while, you know, there are some locations where if you're trying to fly or if you're not necessarily, you know, within a certain radius of that place, it's almost impossible to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if you live in the United States or if you live in, um, Europe, there's a chance that there is one tournament that you could swing and it's not going to break the bank. It's not going to be too much of a time commitment. And I, I hope that more people decide to like go for in those situations just to try it out see if it's something that they do want to do um i know that a lot of the vgc community is getting pretty excited about scarlet and violet in that regard mm -hmm. um and so many people were interested in sword and shield too like before everything shut down um so i'm really hoping that a lot of those people come back and that we get some really really busy events uh once the season starts up for vg in january again uh just because it, it's a fun game you know i think that if you want to go like the full esport route, if you will, um, a lot of esports require a lot of practice, not because of your brain, because of, you know, you need a certain amount of uh, reaction time. You need a certain level of muscle memory to actually like execute, you know, your combos or um, I, whatever you do in league, uh, run around and shoot things or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't actually even know how to describe how you play League, but I was watching a bit of Worlds uh, the other day for commentary. So that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but in VGC, you know, it, it's a turn-based game. You have 60 seconds. And while there are certain areas of the game that could be more accessible and, and could be made easier to play if you're uh, vision impaired, for example, um, you can still play it. Like it's one of the more accessible esports, and I think that really works in its advantage. And I hope that we see more people sort of try it out because of that. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, it because I think for some games, if you look at you know like MOBAs or even like real time strategy games like StarCraft, I've seen yeah some world champions for those games are like fifteen, sixteen years old, and some of the like veterans have been playing for you know 10 plus years they'll like retire at age 25 because they're citing mm -hmm. like like lower reaction skills and stuff and they can't keep up with the young people which is why it's like almost like like professional sports sometimes we're like oh i just can't keep up with the young kids like i'm, I'm getting i'm in my late 20s i'm like getting too old for this right but i think for vg because a lot of it's like very cerebral and it's not it's like you, you have to make a decision within like a few seconds 
you know, you can you can really play around it, and uh, maybe if you don't have some of the mechanical skills, it's okay. Uh, for so, that. Cool. so does that make Wolf Glick the Tom Brady of VGC? <laughs> That's a good question, <laughs> and unfortunately, I only know the more pop culture uh, moments of Tom Brady to uh, compare him to, and I, I don't all, think I want to make that comparison. <laughs> Uh, that's fair that's fair um, but so, yeah it's it, it is an interesting thing to consider <laughs> yeah so gabby i wanted to ask you so based on like again the the seeing the games kind of grow over the years uh trading card game being first vg joining second and then a lot of hype building before the pandemic and then of course you know basically everything in the world got derailed i wanted to ask you in terms of growth and where you see the games going is vg growing at the rate that you expected is it slower than you thought and how does that kind of carry over to go do you think that go can have similar growth or do you think that it's going to be kind of a slower start that's a really good question. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, uh, just because I've been trying to figure out like where I want to fit in for everything, because I, I love both games a lot and I, I want to keep active and go and, and I want to be active in VGC. And unfortunately, I'm only one Gabby um, and it's going to I have to do a little bit of juggling. Um, but I think that when Scarlet and Violet drops, I think that there's going to be a lot of initial interest in VGC again. Um, I think that VGC is really the best kind of end game. I, I think that was actually something I heard one of you talk about at one point, how in Pokemon Go, the end game really is like competitive or it's like shiny hunting. Um, but, you know, there there really isn't too much to choose from. And the same thing's true for the for the mainline games. Um, you know, occasionally uh, there's usually some sort of battle tall thing that you can climb so we've had battle towers there's been a battle tree uh there was a battle subway which i guess kind of breaks it but if you think about it long is just tall on a different axis so it still works um but like other than that there's really not much in the games to do once you complete the pokedex you know you just kind of be like okay i'm the champion now great ggs uh time to go move on to play something else um and bgc really is that end game uh for a lot of people so I think that um, every generation for the mainline games, they make it a little bit more accessible. Um, in Gen 7 on the 3DS, they first gave us team codes. Uh, so that way you didn't have to spend hours breeding Pokemon or trading with your friends uh, to get a team ready so you could play online. Uh, in Gen 8, you know, we got the mints. Uh, we have the ability capsule and all those new items that made training a lot easier. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to get in Scarlet and Violet. But honestly, I think as long as we don't take a step backwards for some bizarre reason, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of interest there. And I think a lot of people are going to at least give it a shot. Um, whether or not that translates into in-person um, presence at tournaments is honestly, I, I don't think I could really answer that one. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot of people playing online tournaments, and I think we're going to see a lot of interest in the grassroots scene for that reason. Because um, there's some really awesome grassroots organizations out there for VGC who put on really great tournaments um, that are usually like free to enter, or if they are, you know, a paid fee to enter, it's like five, ten dollars. It's one day of your time, if that. Um, and you get to play against some really strong players. And I think at the end of the day, that's what a lot of people look for for that end game. Mm -hmm. um as for how that all translates to pokemon go uh i think that there is a lot of potential in pokemon go to grow as well but for like a completely different reason 
Um, I, I think that the fact that Pokemon Go can just be loaded on any phone. Um, I obviously, I, I mean, I'm a mobile developer. I know I say any with a giant caveat next to it, um, <laughs> because there are some really crappy phones out there that can somehow still run modern operating systems. Uh, but you know, anybody can get it on their phone. Um, in theory, anybody could put the time in to get a team ready and play. And it's not as big of an upfront commitment, I think, as having like a Nintendo switch, um, you know, dedicating time to quote unquote gaming. Um, and I think that's a really interesting accessible aspect of it. Um, I think that there's still a lot to be done uh, in order to get Pokemon Go to a place where VGC is at, where like anybody could just pick it up and try it out and see if they want to invest more time into playing it at a high level. Um, but I also think that there's data out there that shows that those kind of things work in esports um, or in any competitive game, you know, like no one's going to just sit down at a chessboard and then just like magically be able to uh, beat an AI or whatever. You need to have those training tools and um, I, I think that's probably assuming that that's what Niantic is going to start focusing on. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for Go to grow as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people play Go, but the amount of people that actively play the PP part or, you know, be, or, or play PP, but like beyond Go Battle League as well, right? Just to do some random sets is, is much smaller in comparison yeah. to the overall game too. So I think that's definitely an interesting facet um mm -hmm. but i feel like s something similar can be probably said about vgc because you know some people are there to collect the decks or play through the storyline or collect shinies and stuff like that too which um is always a another aspect of the game too yeah like i think if you if you really wanted to go figure it out i mean you can look at sales data and you can look at you know how many people play battle stadium in a given season mm -hmm. and i think that would give you a a good enough estimate of like how many what percentage of people who are playing the game actually will play um you know competitive and i agree that it's also a very small percentage um i just think that it's also um seemingly bigger because we ha we can see those numbers um i feel like in pokemon go the only number that you really could get access to um would be like how many people are at legend rank at any given point in time and that is such a small percentage mm -hmm. um relative to everybody else it's also really hard it's really hard and i would argue it's harder than getting master ball in the, uh the mainline games but maybe that's just my own personal experience it's tough to say yeah it, it's it looks like a lot of you are legend if you're on twitter a lot but it is mm -hmm. a much smaller population than a lot of people probably think too i always tell some of my um some of my followers too they're like like it seems like everyone's hitting legend but me i was like no trust me there's a lot of people that don't hit legend um just ask speedy's chief he knows all about that hey too. man <laughs> <laughs> hey okay okay but yeah it's it's like if you go on twitter right and you see all these like shundo legendaries from raids it just feels like one in five friends are getting them but it's actually much much fewer than that mm -hmm. yeah 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 exactly and and it's also i think um it's like a self-selection process too, right? Like yeah. if you're interested in Go competitive, you're going to follow people who are good at Go competitive. And if you're good at competitive Pokemon Go, there's a higher chance that you will make legend in a given season. So it's a uh, observation bias is maybe the term I want to use for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, I think that it would be really cool to see, you know, how many people make it to ACE or like, I, what is it is it level 20 is where like you just have to win a certain number of games over the season yeah, and then it kicks 20. into elo yeah 
I, I would love to see how many people make it to rank 20 and then just kind of stop and, you know, maybe just play their sets to get their legendary spawns and then move on for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say if you're hitting rank 20 to hit get legendary spawns, that's still quite a lot of work because I've only gotten one legendary this entire season after hitting rank 10, 20 for a while. So, Oof, that, well, that makes me feel better about not doing my sets every day. Yeah, it's. I think they they might have <laughs> taken out legendaries or ultra beasts from the code for a little bit because there's some. Dude, who knows? Yeah, but I will say the one legendary I did get was a shiny Voltal, so I was nice. I was pretty happy with that. Ah, the bacon oh, bird. Very yes. nice. Yes, the only one. Um, so, you, you know, you're talking about VGC and stuff, and it's coming back into competitive play in January, you know, shortly after release of Scarlet and Violet. For those that are listening, uh, including myself and Speedy, too, um, that may have not played uh, the main series game in quite some years or quite some decades, uh, what advice you have for those getting into it, too? I know a question that I get a lot, too, is, uh, and I kind of had this question myself was also, uh, do, which, which one do you buy, right? Obviously there's like differences between the two, but also I know some people are buying both, uh, whereas some people say, no, you only need one, but, uh, you can only get one of the, you know, two exclusive legendaries if you only get one, right? Is that a hindrance if you want to get competitive, uh, for VGC or is it not a big deal? So the thing to keep in mind about the legendary like era of VGC, if you will, um, it only comes around once every three years. And this has been true since like 2010, I think was the first year they had a format in, in the US at least where you could run legendary Pokemon in, to qualify for the world championships. Um, Cause it was 2010, 2013, 2016, 2019, and now 2022. Uh, so if you're thinking that far ahead, um, I would say, quite frankly, don't. <laughs> um, you have three years to figure it out, and I guarantee you, um, worst case scenario, you can find somebody, maybe a close friend or someone who lives nearby um, who bought a physical copy of the game, and you can just borrow it from them for a week, You know, run it up until you catch the legendary Pokemon, and then just transfer it or trade it to yourself via Pokemon Home, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. Uh, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, same thing with the exclusives like when sword and shield came out um, there were some pretty decent competitive pokemon locked behind version exclusives Um, i know como was one Um, i think tyranitar was also one Um, i'm like trying to find the list right now but i can't find it Uh, but people were like okay you want a tyranitar i want a como like let's just trade a breject to each other um, it's very easy to find stuff if you have friends who are playing or even if you don't, there's um, plenty of forums. Uh, Reddit has like an entire subreddit dedicated to Pokemon trades. And I'm pretty sure that's literally what it's called. It's like r slash Pokemon trades. <laughs> um, and then also Discord. And, you know, there's plenty of people in the community who'd be willing to help you out uh, if you just need like that Pokemon to get the dex entry. And then you can go off and, you know, figure out how to get a competitive version of it. Um, so when it comes down to like what version you want to play, I I would say, you know, just look at the marketing points. Like, is there a a version exclusive that you'll be upset about missing out on, uh, for your in-game playthrough? Um, do you prefer one of the professors over the other? Because apparently that's something that we're doing now. Uh, whatever, whatever makes you happy. I would say just pick that game, play through it and have a good time. Because the other thing that um, I like to remind people is that, you know, San Diego Regionals, which is the first regionals in the U.S. to have Pokemon Scarlet and Violet involved, um, isn't going to be until the first week of January. 
And like, realistically speaking, um, you can get a decent team of competitive, competitive Pokemon together in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming you know how to, you know, breed Pokemon so that they get optimal stats or you find a YouTube tutorial that'll surely be up within like five hours of the game coming out somehow. Um, you know, you can figure out how to EV train. You can figure all that stuff out pretty easily. Um, and it doesn't take as much time as it used to as a result. Um, so I, I think the most important thing is to remember to enjoy the game first. Um, and then after you're done with the story, after you're done with, you know, whatever you were looking to accomplish from like a playthrough standpoint, then you can start thinking about competitive and start, you know, putting your team together. Um, there were years in the past where VGC tournaments happened so close to the game dropping that like you literally just had to know life it for like a week or two and, you know, rush through the game, rush to recatch all of your dittos and all of your synchronizer Pokemon, uh, with uh, synchronizes an ability that allows you to, uh, guarantee the nature of the wild Pokemon that you're facing off against. So it just really cuts down on time for a lot of things. Uh, like you would just have to go, 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 go. And we we're not in that era anymore. And I'm very glad that we aren't because it was, um, I think it took away some of the magic of just like popping in, you know, Pokemon red or blue into your game boy color or whatever your first game was. And just sort of experiencing that world for the first time without that stress or without maybe feeling like you have to min max it right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, That's really helpful to hear too. Um, yeah, and, and I think for those that play Pokemon Go, maybe if they tuned into some of the regionals or internationals or worlds this year, they're seeing like all these legendaries on screen. But like mm-hmm. Abby said, like yeah. it it kind of it rotates through. It's not you're not using all legendaries right off the bat in the first few tournaments. Uh, or, yeah. or any this year, right? To my to my understanding. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. I mean, <laughs> they can't really, uh, you know, confirm the rule set because typically the way they do it is they'll just release like the list of the Pokemon, the Pokedex numbers that, um, you know, are allowed versus aren't allowed. And uh, for the past couple of game releases, they've actually haven't been releasing like the entire Pokedex before the game launches, which I love personally. I think it's great. Um, The less I know about a Pokemon game going into it, the better at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they were to confirm the rules like that, (laughs) it would kind of, I guess, ruin some of that magic. (laughs) That's fair. No spoilers. No spoilers. And to your point about uh, accessibility and like rushing through the game in order to get resources, I know a lot of Pokemon Go players will say the same thing. Uh, A lot of our stuff is kind of bottlenecked by events. You can only get certain things when, you know, there's an event for Lickitung or you can only get double when it's in in the wild or whatever. And I feel like a lot of those barriers uh, get brought up a lot. You know, they say, oh, this is the main thing that's stopping growth in Pokemon Go. But a lot of trainers don't understand that it's also the same for just about any game you play. Like you said, even when you look at chess, you still have to learn. Uh, the moves you still have to learn uh, exactly how the pieces work together and different strategies there's a barrier to entry to every game and i think yes lowering that barrier is helpful but i feel like uh, you know it's always going to exist no matter what so hopefully you know the barrier isn't too high and we we can continue to bring in new players to go as well as vg yeah i i think the barrier to entry like if it's like something just isn't available anymore i think that definitely has to be addressed if it's just that you have to you know follow a set path of do this thing walk 10 kilometers you know whatever it is mm-hmm. um i think that's totally understandable and that's part of the gameplay too like i i think that 
a lot of competitive players, especially in BGC, uh, tend to only focus on what happens after you get the Pokemon and like after you built the team and it's time to like play. Uh, but I also think that um, there is fun, believe it or not, in actually getting your Pokemon team together and, you know, having that like initial part of that journey. And if it's not your thing, that's totally fine. But um, it's also okay to enjoy that part of the game. You know, you don't have to go straight to like, you know, trying to memorize calcs or trying to memorize what Pokemon are going to be faster. Like, yes, a lot of people do do that. But if you just want to be there for a good time, like, by all means, please, please have fun with these games. That's what they're there for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I'm definitely excited to get into it, too, because it's been a long time since I've played a main series game. Uh, I guess, it, unless you count uh, Arceus, but uh, I don't I don't really count that. It's a, it's a little different, right, than the regular uh, kind of games. But I did give that a shot, too. I think, for me personally, what was missing for that was uh, the PvP component and interacting with mm. other people. Mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know, did, did you both play that game? or? Uh, yes. It, so, do you remember how there was a part where you find your mounts? Right, and you had to go through like these hoops. You had to go through a certain like twelve hoops or something to to pass the course. Um, so I, I was streaming with my friend Dijon, and we're both playing at the same time. And we pretty much we try to race each other simultaneously, or see like <laughs> oh, who can get man. through the mountain's hoops because we're just trying to find something competitive about the game. So we're like, all right, let's do a race. Let's let's see who could go through the most most amount of hoops or something at the same time or something like that. But um, but yeah, I mean it was a, it was a fun game for the open world experience for sure. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely more inclined to the PP aspect myself. Yeah, my my dream is that uh, and this is also dating myself again, I guess. So like the really cool thing about Pokemon Battle Revolution on the Nintendo Wii, other than the fact that it was on the Nintendo Wii, I guess, <laughs> um, was the fact that the game was just battling. Like it was very much a spiritual successor to like Pokemon Stadium and Stadium 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they didn't have the mini games from Stadium, which may or may not be a crime, depending on how you're feeling. Um <laughs> I think there is a correct answer to that question. Uh, but the point of the game wasn't that you could like catch Pokemon in it. Um, you know, you there were a ton of trainer customization options uh, and there were rental Pokemon and you could transfer stuff over from uh, Diamond, Pearl and Platinum. And that was like the game. And I really hope that there is that kind of approach to competitive Pokemon in the future. Like maybe release it as a mainline game. Uh, but then, you know, let the team work on something wild like Arceus, uh, like a Pokemon Ranger remake or I don't know what whatever else uh, you want to do in terms of like Pokemon as a genre. Uh, but then just introduce some way to trade those Pokemon back into the competitive game. So that way, you know, that game can still kind of be the game for VGC. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I feel like Sword and Shield is the closest that Game Freak has ever gotten to taking that kind of strategy. And part of me does wonder, like, what would have happened if if the pandemic didn't happen? Like, would mm-hmm. we have gotten to that point? Um, would that be something that would be more of a reality rather than just a like, oh, it, you know, we're going on to the next games now. But yeah. we'll see. I 
I, I think that there's also enough evidence from other places um, that people would be interested in a Pokemon game that's specifically keyed toward battling. And it would also make, I think, a lot of development easier since you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, backwards compatibility and like all this nonsense in every single game, just this one game that you're that you're maintaining. Yeah. No, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to jump in. So on on Ghost Stadium, you mentioned the mini games, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember your favorite mini game from Ghost Stadium or excuse me, yeah, Pokemon Stadium? I'm only five Clefairy. <laughs> Please understand. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I really love the Lickitung mini game where you have to like grab the food with your oh my god your tongue <laughs> so much fun dude i miss out on that game i heard i i always hear great things about pokemon stadium and i it was on n6 it was on n64 or gamecube n64 okay yeah, i played n64 so i had n64 too but i just never got that game and people always talk about how that's like one of their favorite pokemon games too of all time um, so good it has not aged well. I no. will say that. Everything's oh, okay. so boxy. Yeah. It's everything is boxy. The mechanics are completely different now. It was before the physical uh special split. Um, like there's just so much that's different about it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a Nintendo online subscription, like the the super subscription that they sell, it's actually gonna be one of the N64 games coming out soon. I think they announced it. Uh, so you can relive all of the childhood that you didn't have. And <laughs> I think they've also confirmed online support for the mini games as well, which right. I, I'm probably going to end up holding like a charity tournament or something. That's just going to be stadium mini games. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember I, I did play Pokemon snap a lot, but that was, uh, mm-hmm. that was about the extent on N64 for me, but. Um, switching gears a little bit here too so you mentioned how you know you have a long history with pokemon and uh it was you said i think in 2015 you were brought on to a cast right for your first time ever doing commentary yeah I, it wasn't an officially at that point um i was officially brought on in 2016 mm-hmm. but i mean it, my story to get into casting to be quite honest um i, I qualified for worlds in 2015 and I went way too hard into it. Like, <laughs> I I mean, I, I will admit, I am a person who suffers from burnout. I tend to just go until I'm burnt out and then I recover. Um, for 2015 Worlds, I think I got to the point where even my burnout had burnout. Like, it was <laughs> uncharted territory for me. And it was really bad. Um, I had a lot of fun. Um, I actually finished really strongly. Like, I got 27th, I think, that year overall. Um, but because I was gunning for like top cut and blah, 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 like it just felt like an absolute failure. And I started streaming Pokemon competitively, like just going on uh, the battle stadium at the time uh, to just get over it. Because I was like, I want to have fun with this game again. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to just like let the end of my Pokemon story be. I had the burnout to end all burnout and then I never came back again. <laughs> Uh, and I just started having fun streaming. Like it it was a lot of fun. I got to communicate with friends I didn't normally see outside of tournaments. Um, and then in, uh, I think it was the Orlando regionals for the 2016 season, which happened in 2015, which is a little bit misleading. Mm -hmm. Um, my good friend, uh, Adam Doricott, who's also another caster now, Uh, was putting on a live stream for that regional and him and his friend TJ had seen me stream and they were like, do you want to try commentating? 
Um, and they also knew that I'd be there regardless because uh, Disney was nearby. And that's like the one way to get me to show up to literally anything <laughs> is to tack a Disney trip onto it. Um, so I thought about it and I was like, well, y- you know, sure, I'll try it. It's one event. If I hate it or if I feel like I made the biggest mistake of my life, um, I can just go to Disney the next day and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out that I really enjoyed it. And it felt like it was another way for me to experience the game and like have all the competitive thoughts that I wanted to have without necessarily some of the hangups that like led to the burnout in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing it. Like um, I think I went to maybe six or seven grassroots tourneys. Um, And and I say grassroots, they were official regionals, but back then they didn't have official regional streams. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it it was a critical hit. Um, which was Adam's group basically putting on most of the VG ones back then. Um, and I I just got good somehow. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, like Pokemon reached out to me and they're like, do you want to cast like an official event? Um, and then it was the San Jose Regionals in uh, 2016. That was my first official event. Um, and then I got to cast Worlds like literally that season. Um, wow. which, uh, 2017 at that point, but um yeah no it was it was crazy um and it's something that i'm stupidly amounts of thankful for Mm -hmm. because like if if adam had never you know asked if i would be interested in it i probably would have just tried to keep being you know competitive kept trying to go for worlds and you know i i'd like to believe that i would have sorted myself out um but I, i think that commentary has just been such a healthier way for me to be involved with pokemon and i'm thankful for it every day yeah, I think, you know, that's that's so nice that you added that point too because I think that was my mentality as well. Um I've I've done commentary, I've done shoutcasting in the past before ever doing any play Pokemon events. But for me it was just more so of a yeah, sure, like I'll do it. Uh most of the time it was for like uh a big tournament or you know, or finals and stuff. And I'd always be like, yeah, sure, I'll do it because I didn't make it that far in tournaments, so why not, right? I, I got, I'll stay involved somehow, right? Or I'll, like, I'll help out a friend that's hosting something. Um, but I think in the back of my mind, I always be like, man, like, it's fun to commentate on someone else's battles. But I, I wish I was the one doing the battles and winning, right? And mm-hmm. I think I had that competitive mindset. But I think, you know, and, and being a part of that, like, official, like, play Pokemon commentary and stuff, and, like, especially in in-person events and stuff, I think, like, there's, there's no way I'll ever... Uh, I always like go back, like because I can still compete and stuff. But I think I already know, like if it was one or the other, I'd always choose commentating over it. Because I, I think mm-hmm. having having done it uh, a few times in person and at these official events, it's just there's nothing that really kind of replaces it for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel the same way, Speedy, or not. But I, oh, oh, I no. think you always want to commentate. So I guess it's it's different. <clears throat> for yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean. Just to share like my perspective, I remember going to a grassroots tournament. It was the mega tournament in Orlando in 2019, just before the pandemic really came through. This was in January. Pandemic didn't really shut everything down till March. But I remember uh, watching the casters like come in, sit at the desk and cast the mega tournament. And I was just like, man, if I could just be in that seat, if I could just get there and cast one tournament with King IV or one tournament with AJ Pilot, like that would make it for me. Like that would be my goal right that would be it and i always came into it thinking more from like a content perspective like i always thought i could you know help other people learn i could try to help grow the community and then uh, yeah i think i'm a little bit opposite of caleb here the competitive success that i've had was kind of by accident 
but I kind of got to the point where I realized that if I'm going to keep pursuing this, I need to just not let the people down that, you know, I beaten, like, you know, if I beat house Stark, I better win it all. If I beat you know, dune bug, I better win it all. Right. There's no other excuse and just to give my best, but that's very interesting. We all, I think we all three of us have like kind of different perspectives on this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the cool thing too. I, especially for like commentary, like you need those different perspectives. Um, you can have like four amazing PVP players on commentary together and like they could be giving like the most analytical cast of their lives and like, you know, just completely on the ball for everything. But if you're missing like the perspective to bring somebody newer into the show or to be able to like help people who may not be as familiar following along with everything, um, you know, I think that's an important uh, perspective to have present too. So mm-hmm. I, I personally love how um, the Go cast is really uh, kind of developed, um, if, especially for official events, because I feel like, you know, we all have different perspectives and we all have our own things that we bring to the table. And I, and I think that's really super, super important. Mm-hmm. Um, the VG cast and the TCG cast for play Pokemon events are the same. Like, uh, but I, I think that the fact that go was able to get there as quickly as it did is really, really awesome. Honestly, like I feel like the VGC cast at least, or maybe this was just my own uh, inexperience sort of uh, tinting my perspective of it. Um, But I feel like it did take a little bit for us to really kind of lock in on, okay, this is how we want to run the show. And this is like, you know, the perspectives that we want to highlight and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're you're setting me up for the perfect transition here, but um, yes. so I uh, it's funny because I, I I definitely knew about you, Gabby. I, I can't remember specifically from where, but it was Speedy that also messaged me. He's like, "Hey, uh, you know Gabby Snyder, right?" I was like, "I was like, uh, kind of like on Twitter and stuff." She's like, "Oh, like she's really interested in Pokemon Go and stuff, and she's a big VGC cast." I was like, "Oh, let me like you know look into her stuff, and you know I, I think I." tuned into one of your streams when you're streaming Pokemon Go too. Um, and then when you're announced to be a caster, it was very exciting to see that. Uh, but I think even more exciting about beyond all that is how quickly you just dove into all the, you know, Pokemon Go uh, events or, or not even events, but like meetups at these, you know, regionals and internationals uh, and worlds even. And I, I don't think a lot of people that maybe didn't go to some of these regionals in person might not know, right? They just see you casting with us uh, on Twitch or on YouTube. Um, but behind the scenes, you know, Gabby was very immersed in the community, you know, right off the bat too. Um, I think I remember specifically it was, it was Ohio. I was like, I think I went to take a nap because I was just tired. I was like, where are y'all at? And, and Gabby's like, oh, we're, we're still, we haven't left. Like we've been hanging with the Pokemon Go view the whole time. I was like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll meet up with you all. But uh, <laughs> I just to, to kind of get your perspective on that, you know, how has it been? Um, engaging with the Pokemon Go community as well and throughout this experience and stuff. Uh, and hopefully everyone's been, for the most part, welcoming too. Um, oh, incredibly welcoming. Yeah. Like not even for the most part, like 100% incredibly welcoming. Um, I, you know, I I don't think I intended to jump in as fast as I did, <laughs> to be <laughs> quite honest. Um, but I remember thinking to myself in Ohio, um, I think it was when there was like the basketball game that y'all had. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminded me of like OG VGC and like the the family aspect of it. And I think that there still is that feeling today. Mm-hmm. But being able to walk into a group of people that you don't really know, but like 
be able to form friendships and just like have that instant connection and being able to talk about, you know, like, oh, what brought you to Pokemon? And like, are, are you excited to be here? Like, what has it been like knowing that this is your first tournament? Like, that was just a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, cause like I said, you know, I feel like a lot of who I am today was shaped by those experiences and it's just been really fun to be a part of this, um, process and, you know, be a part of that story for a lot of y'all on the go side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I will also say that like, it wasn't too much of a stretch, honestly, because like I, I've been doing go fest every year that I've been free. I was at the first go fest where, everything was on fire and the highlight of the day was buying a Choco Taco through the fence that they had set up at that park. Um, so like it wasn't, it, it just felt like a very natural like progression. Um, and I, I can't thank the community enough for being so welcoming to me because I, I think my biggest fear was coming in as like an outsider. Like I knew that I wouldn't know everything, you know, I'm definitely still improving a lot when it comes to my own abilities to play and my own abilities to cast and understand what's going on and being able to like identify win cons and all that stuff. Um, but no one's ever really like put me down for it or like put me in a position where I feel bad that, you know, Oh, maybe they should have gotten another speedy or another Caleb or somebody to, you know, be in my position, uh, which I'm very, very thankful for. I I think it's probably mostly my imposter syndrome. That's uh, thinking that way, but it's just been a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to being at the next in-person event for me, whatever that may be. Um, because I feel like this whole year is just going to keep growing and capitalizing off the momentum that was started from last season. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, us, you know, getting to interact with you as well as co-casters has been super helpful for us as commentators too, especially first time commentators. Cause, um, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I think a lot of other casters may agree that I think we learned a lot about, um, casting for me, but also like the casting culture and, you know, competitive, uh play pokemon culture as well too i I think the first uh the first you know uh events uh, a lot of us went to myself speedy and butters was in frankfurt germany and that was our first time and you know we just got introduced to a bunch of other casters and we didn't didn't really know what was going on we were tucked away in like this back corner as well (laughs) and we kind of just did our own thing but um but for some you know but now like we've we've been able to like interact with you and learn more about everything. And we're like, Oh, like, okay. And, and like, and kind of engage with the other casters as well. I feel like you were a really great bridge for us as professionals there. So I think that's, that's always been super helpful. And I think I've, I heard a lot of great things about people saying uh, like, Oh yeah. Like we know, like Abby's uh, from a VGC background, but, um, but we really enjoy her commentary on how uh, there's some comparisons to, uh, VGC when when discussing certain things in Pokemon Go versus you know uh, versus the differences and stuff and similarities too. So I think mm-hmm. having that different perspective is uh, really cool. Oh well, thank you. That yeah. really means a lot. And you know, I'm I'm just happy that I can pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Like I, one of the things that I'm really passionate about in commentary and my day job is just making sure that um, you know people there's resources out there for people. Um, who want to um, learn or who want to pick up competitive or they want to learn how to program or whatever it is. Um, so I'm, re- I'm really happy that I got to help y'all out and hopefully we can just keep lifting each other up as, you know, the season goes on. 
Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's it's going to be a long season and a big oh, season yeah. as well, too. But I think people <laughs> are excited, you know, because I remember when I was in London, too, I was talking to some of the world's competitors, and some of them, uh, Kaiser was one specific one. He's like, I'm going to Baltimore in three weeks. You know, <laughs> I was like, like he's already itching to go back into competitive uh, play despite just making it to Worlds and, you know, still in the middle of Worlds as well. But I think that's that energy is really exciting too because I think it keeps people going. Um, I think that's actually one big thing that differs for um, Pokemon Go and TCG and, and VGC a little bit. I mean, VGC right now is on break, but not by choice, right? Just based off of the game release. Uh, but then something like Unite, because Pokemon Unite, I know some a lot of friends that play it, and for them, the competitive season just it's like gone until the spring or something. So a lot of a lot of the professionals or the top teams are just kind of taking breaks or doing other stuff too. Um, so I think it's cool that we just dive straight into the new season right away like this. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that, like I said, I'm really hoping that the momentum carries forward. I'm also hoping that, you know, people who may have not been able to try Pokemon Go on the competitive stage last season get the opportunity to. Like, I'm pretty sure um, Latin America had like a couple of qualifiers, but not that many. You know, now they have the international championship coming up. Uh, same thing with Australia. I think they had what, like two regionals, if that, to qualify for Go. And like, that was it. Um, and then they also have their international championship coming up in February next year. So um, I, I can't wait to see just who's going to end up competing. I'm excited to see, you know, who just decided to not only just, you know, go from Worlds to the next season immediately, but also those who maybe saw Worlds and decided, all right, this is my year. Like, it's, I'm going to try this out and see how it goes. Yeah. Most of it. I, I actually had a quick question, too, for, um, for, for especially like Latin America for, you know, VGC players. Is, uh, what is the participation rate, you think, of for like VGC and maybe even TCG, if you know, in Latin America? Because I know a lot of Latin America players but Pokemon Go are always bummed that there's not more tournaments uh, for that region. I know there's going to be an international at least this year, which is cool. But um, I think they would a lot of them want to have more regionals, kind of like North America and um, and Europe. And you know they just don't have nearly as many. Yeah, I I wish I knew more. Um, my understanding is that TCG does very well down there, mm -hmm. um, and at least for so LAIC is typically held in Brazil. And I know that it can be hard to get like Nintendo switches and actual like game hardware down there. Um, I think even at like retail, I think it's pretty marked up if you do like the currency conversion, which is um, unfortunate. So I, I know that for VGC, the numbers are always a bit smaller. And I think that's why there aren't as many events. Whereas with TCG, um, there are a ton of people down there who love playing the card game competitively. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what to expect, though, from Go. I really don't. Like, when I was looking at the schedule the other day and just kind of, like, you know, looking to see what the season's going to look like, you know, trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, how are how are these events going to fall in terms of, you know, what time of the year are they? What, what kind of metagame would we be looking at? Like, all that stuff. Um, one of the things I think about with VGC when I think about that is, like, Okay, so Europe tends to have a different metagame. Japan has a different metagame. Uh, Latin America has a different metagame. And like you can kind of use online tournaments to figure out like, okay, these are the kind of strategies that do well in those areas. And like, if I know that I'm 
going to be watching a tournament uh, that's going to be like in Europe, for example, like I will brush up on Trick Room teams ahead of time because I know that that for whatever reason, Trick Room seems to be more popular over there. Um, and so like I was thinking about that for like Go and I don't know what to expect. Hmm. I I know that um, from I think it was you, Speedy, who did the event in Mexico City last year or was it two years ago? Yeah, so there were actually a couple of events that went down. There was actually the Monterey Safari Zone, which is very comparable to GoFest. It's like the international version of GoFest. If you have a Safari Zone in Europe or in Latin America or Asia Pacific, then it's kind of like you know the equivalent, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, there was huge interest in Monterey. I think they sold out all of the tickets for the event. And there were, I don't know, I heard a rumor there were like 40,000 people walking around this park. And the park was massive. It was incredibly huge, right? And that just goes with the general vibe that a lot of Latin American communities have because whenever you look at pictures of community days, especially before the pandemic, it was just flooded with people. I mean, just huge crowds of people, Latin American um, communities really come out to play Pokemon Go. And the second thing that you you touched on was the regional. So you're right. It wasn't a official play Pokemon regional, but it was actually a Pokemon Go regional hosted by Niantic themselves. And that one also had pretty good turnout in Mexico City and uh, it was pretty successful. So yeah, uh, I'm actually curious as well, like how Latin American and Asia Pacific communities will will respond to the tournaments because like Caleb said, I mean, these communities know they have some of the best players in the world and they really show up for the in-game events. So if they show up for the PvP events, it should be pretty massive when they do. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um... They have they definitely have a very strong following too. I I think for specific for Pokemon Go PP, I don't know what it looks like now, post pandemic and GBL introduction. But before GBL was introduced, during that first twenty nineteen kind of inaugural PVP season where they're just grassroots tournaments, I just remember like I was on Reddit and I was like looking at these tournament links for hosted from Silph Arena and the biggest participation tournaments across the board was always latin america like they would have uh they, they were they were swiss style uh swiss style tournaments so you're probably familiar with that uh, gabby for you know yeah. a lot of vgc does that but the amount of rounds that there are depends on how many total players there are and so you know if you have like uh, i don't know like three rounds might be up to like 12 players and 60 something players might be up to six rounds um the latin america tournaments were regularly up to eight plus rounds you know seven eight plus rounds it would be like 200 300 plus art participants for all these tournaments uh, and these wow. were in-person tournaments hosted by grassroots organizations so they would they would last for hours right because everyone's playing in the entire swiss tournament in a day but they just loved as community and it was just amazing to see so many people play whereas even in the biggest cities in north america or europe and stuff we wouldn't even come close i think one of the biggest tournaments we ever had was a seven round tournament in Seattle. Uh, that's that was like that was it for like that first year in North America, and they had like a Nintendo Switch actually as like one of the that's the top prize right uh, to incentivize people going. But outside of that, like you know, you're lucky if you get a six round or five round tournament um, in any other city. But Latin America was just you know super high participation, and I just remember thinking I was like, wow, what. That's that's just wild to me, right? Because it's 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 an investment to go for that many hours and to build your team and prep and everything too. But uh, their community was very focused on that, which was really cool to see. 
No, I agree with you. Those tournaments were always massive. And I'm I'm actually very eager because we do have the Latin American internationals coming up. They're in Brazil, right? And a lot of people think, you know, all Latin America is the same, but it's it's very much not. And in Brazil, of course, they speak Portuguese. So it's, you know, Spanish, Portuguese are similar, but there is a bit of a language barrier. And it's a pretty long travel as well. Like from, from the southern U.S., it's still like a 14-hour flight. If you're coming from, you know, Mexico, Venezuela, Argentina, it's still, you know, a comparable... Uh, travel as well. So I'm very interested to see what the numbers are like, and hopefully they're good, right? Because this is the first one for Pokemon Go, and you kind of have to balance these expectations with precedence. You know, the precedence is it's the first. Everyone wants to go to the first one and just really show up. And the and the flip side of that is that it's the first one. People aren't sure about it. Maybe they'll wait to go to the next one. And the whole time, I know the Pokemon company is gauging the numbers, looking at the metrics, and we just want people to show up to the point where they think it's worth investing in and they think it can grow in the future. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, at least for Pokemon Go that I've talked to, it seems like once they go to one of these tournaments, they're like, oh, it's not like, you know, at first they might be intimidated and stuff, but looking back on it, it's it's not so bad and it's actually very fun and a lot of fun to go to and they'll go to other ones, right? I think it's really getting people to that first regional or international to kind of get over that fear and then, you know, they just kind of get hooked and want to be a part of, you know, those in-person events because it's a lot of fun outside, for those that have never been, right, that might be listening to this podcast. For those that have never been, it's there's much more to what you see on screen, right? There's all the battles and stuff, but afterward, you know, people are having fun. It's it's not, I feel like when you're watching, it seems more intense, right? You're like, you know, it's, it's Caleb and Speedy, they're facing off and they're like, they're both like looking very serious and they get really emotional on stage and stuff. And, you know, Caleb looks so upset when he get loses. But, like, <laughs> behind the scenes, like, you know, they're just joking around, shaking hands, like, oh, man, this is the guy that beat me and stuff. It was a good time, whatever. And, you know, I'm glad I lost him. And so, like, you, you, it's a lot more – there's a lot more camaraderie than uh, what it looks like on screen, I think. Or at least my interpretation, right? Because I think when I look at it, I was like, man, it's so intense. But everyone in reality is just a lot more chill um, in the in the after events hangouts, which is always a great time. Oh, definitely. hundred percent. Like, I, I feel like I definitely noticed that um, it, it, coming into the community as well. You know, I think in, in some of the more established competitive games, you know, I think people have their groups that they stick to, um, which is understandable. I mean, you grow to a certain point in terms of like popularity as a esport or as a, any group activity, like it's going to be impossible to find a spot that'll host like 300 people for dinner after a tournament or whatever it is. Um, but I feel like the Go community is still at that sweet point where like everybody can just decide to go to the same restaurant and hang out and chill and have fun, yeah. which is really awesome. I always feel a little bad for those restaurants because they always they always feel like they always seem a little overwhelmed, but <laughs> um, they've all been very accommodating, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so you know we we talked about so many things already, um, but I guess as kind of a general closer what what are you looking for you know you've been involved in pokemon community for so long gabby and you know so much has happened but what are what are i guess some things you're looking forward to in the future for the game um and, and as well maybe as a commentator um i mean i'll i'll just say it uh, japan worlds worlds <laughs> in japan like i I don't think I ever thought it would actually happen for whatever reason. Cause I mean, I've been going to the world championships every year since 2011. Mm -hmm. Like 
or every year that they've existed, obviously. Um, and it's been something that I've always like sort of dreamed of, you know, like, oh, yeah, you can go to Japan. You can like have that amazing trip and, you know, see the culture out there, go do all the fun, crazy tech stuff in Tokyo and all that and then go play in a Pokemon tournament. Um, and I, I've been very fortunate that I've been to Japan twice and both times I've had some fantastic interactions with the VGC community out there. Um, like there was, uh, a bunch of dinners the first time that I went out. Um, there was also an off Kai, which is their word for like an offline grassroots tournament, mm -hmm. um, that I decided to skip so I could go to Tokyo Disney sea. Um, and I don't really regret that decision, unfortunately. Um, but then like the second time there was this like barbecue that was outside and just a lot of really amazing people that I'm very excited for, um, that they can also experience worlds for the first time as, you know, traveling to, to and from Japan is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, but like beyond that, I think that I'm really looking forward to just how Scarlet and Violet is going to change the game. Um, I know that at Worlds for the trading card game, they announced the reintroduction of um, GX cards or not GX cards, EX cards, like mm -hmm. the OG ones uh, from back in the Ruby Sapphire Emerald days. Um, so like I'm I can't wait to see how that mechanic's going to come back in and change how the game is played. You know, for Pokemon Go, I think they typically do the like launch events for the new games where like they'll add a few of the new Pokemon in. Like that's how we got Wulu, I think. Right. in Go. Mm -hmm. um so like I'm, ex I'm excited to see what pokemon from scarlet and violet they decide to introduce and if they're going to have any competitive viability um and i i'm also looking forward to just like you know the first few weeks after the game comes out when we're all just kind of playing it together and trying it out and having a good time yeah yeah definitely um and you mentioned too that you've gone to uh most uh, all all the all the in person go fest right for Pokemon Go or like at I, least the ones in the U S or uh, I missed one oh, I missed, missed one. Okay. one because of uh, Japan actually oh, I gotcha, think it was gotcha. 2018. Well, uh, hopefully this is this is my hope too that they host the because they always host the whenever they host Go Fest they always host one in Japan as well uh, maybe not the first year but I think ever since then uh, and hopefully they host the one for Japan maybe the week before or the week after worlds because oh, yes. if we're you know if a lot of people are already there then you could just stay an extra few days or a week mm -hmm. or, you know a lot of people are probably going to stay extra time anyway but you could just throw that in too which would be huge they might have to limit <laughs> the participation there though unfortunately because i think that's going to be more participa participants than they're used to but that would be a great time if they could do that Agreed. I, I'm already planning on being there for a month at this point. And if I could line <laughs> that up so that I can do GoFest out there as well, I'm 100% doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'll be great. Um, yeah. For those that don't know, too, um, I, I didn't really know this until you told me uh, this in London, Gabby, but uh, all the Pokemon worlds before this this year were in North America and all pretty much in the U.S. besides one in Vancouver. Uh, yep. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so even having one in Europe is a big deal this this year, and then, you know, yeah, like, and now now in Japan, that's that's absolutely wild too. Um, for those that have been following this for a while, for Pokemon people, Pokemon Go people, they might be like, oh, it's that makes sense. It's in Japan, right? But um, no, it's a big deal. <laughs> that's in Japan. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
but yeah anyway thank you so much for um being our guest on this podcast you know we went through a lot of stuff um i just want to ask if you have any final thoughts or closing thoughts or things you would like to share with our listeners too that have uh, been listening all the way till this point yeah uh thank you for listening i i really appreciate y'all having me on as well i really enjoyed getting a chance to chat with you um in i guess this kind of setting as well uh i i guess if you want to follow my content uh twitch.tv slash simply gabby or on twitter i'm at gabby snyder and um my screams my stream schedule is a little bit whack right now because I just adopted a puppy. But um, once Cheese. I know his name's Cheese. I love him. You can follow him at Cheese the Beagle on Instagram. Just got to get that one in there, too, I guess. Oh, I got to um, follow. I didn't realize he had an Instagram. That's that's perfect. It was like the first thing I did once we decided <laughs> on a name. I'm that kind of pet parent now. Um, but no, one, once my schedule gets a bit more predictable again, which I'm thinking is going to be the, like the beginning of November, probably a couple weeks before Scarlet and Violet come out. Um, I'm going to start doing a lot more Pokemon Go streams and I would really love it if people would come by um, and, you know, just sort of not backseat game, but like, you know, just watch and provide advice because there's a lot that I still need to learn. And uh, for whatever reason, streaming just helps me learn how to be a better player. Um, and it's also a lot of fun, too. So I'd love to get to chat with you all in person. Ish. Yeah, I find, I find that when I stream my sets too, I tend to mold a little less, which is nice. Because oh, same. I, if I'm molding less, <laughs> I typically am playing better too. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for plugging yourself because that was literally going to be my next question: like, where can people find you? So you're 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 right on point with all the transitions, which has been <laughs> made my life easy. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again for being part of our special 68 episode. Um, hopefully we will see you at a future event somewhere, uh, some way. And, um, yeah, for those that are looking to meet, uh, Gabby or myself and Speedy, you know, sign up for maybe a regional or international and maybe we'll see you out there. But, uh, as always, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great one. Mm -hmm.